Welcome to the Tech Pro Unicorn Podcast, brought to you by RPI Consultants, a podcast about the magic of digital transformation through technology. Each week, we'll cover topics related to ERP, RPA, business transformation, leadership, healthcare, and unicorns. And welcome back to another episode of Tech Pro Unicorn Podcast. I am your host, Michael Grace. Today, we're talking tech, but we're talking a different side of tech than we normally talk. Usually, we're talking fancy gadgets and new innovations and all kinds of really cool things that make your life better. Today, we're going to take that life piece and we're going to kind of shift it and and we're going to talk about how you put yourself in humanity first in relation to technology. We're going to do that with Rob Kretschak. Um, Rob is a thrill seeker, self-professed nerd, question asker, voracious reader, competitor, keynote speaker, and business builder. Uh, when he first got his Wall Street job as a sell-side equity analyst out of college, uh, he thought he'd made it. He bought everything he wanted on his wish list. He realized that he still wasn't happy. Uh, he listened to his deep-down desire to help more people by leaving finance to eventually own three anytime fitness health clubs and four U-Break iFix cell phone repair stores. Um, as someone vulnerable to technology's addictive hold from a young age, video games and Facebook in particular, we're gonna talk a lot about that. Uh, Rob is on a mission to help individuals and companies reduce burnout, get back time to master their careers and lives, uh, he founded Humans First, which is the company that Rob now does full-time to provide a one-of-a-kind coaching experience that analyzes and coaches people's efficiency and energy by paying attention to their mindfulness with technology. Uh, Rob thinks there is always something to be learned from everyone. He lets his curiosity guide his conversations. And then in his spare time, he likes to do CrossFit, better himself through reading, travel, and spending time with his wife, Nikki. Rob, thanks for taking the time and joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. I'm really grateful for the opportunity and glad that we can chat about something that I'm really passionate about. Awesome. So you you um, you had kind of the dream job, right? I mean, people want that. They perceive that they want this. Oh, I'm going to work for this financial firm. I'm going to have a great financial career. I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to buy lots of stuff. And that's going to make me happy. Um, you you kind of had that and then pivoted and then pivoted again recently to focus on this. Maybe tell us a little bit about about your journey and what kind of caused you to to make those changes. Yeah, so kind of like my bio said, I you know I graduated from college and I and I got this amazing job and it re- I really admire the company I was at. It was Robert Baird. They're headquartered mm-hmm. in Milwaukee, but it is a Wall Street type job, you know. And and our, that firm won tons of awards for top research and. You know, I was uh, bestowed with a lot of responsibility for my boss, which I was grateful for because I learned a ton. But you know, at the beginning, at the beginning of my career there, I wrote down this list of stuff that I wanted. It was like you know, furniture for my apartment and some clothes and a stereo system and a few other things. And you know, like I thought that buying those things would make me happy. And so I, you know, bought most of them by the end of the first year. And then I was just kind of objective with myself and I was like, huh, I just don't really feel like I'm any happier or my life is any different or it's, you know, 
maybe it's materially a little bit better, but it's not like my life was some incredible, you know, situation where I just felt like everything was amazing. Um, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't any really different for because of buying all those things. And so I, that's kind of when I began my self-improvement journey. And I said to myself, well, what if, if buying all this crap doesn't make me happier, what will, right? And you know, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that I completely 100% know the answer to that question yet, but I feel like I'm at least a little bit closer after reading a lot of stuff over the past couple of decades. But, um, you know, I did end up, uh, while I was at that day job and I was working over 60 hours a week, so it was a very, you know, very grueling job, I started my first business on the side and that was, you know, my at Anytime Fitness Health Club. And you know, there was about an, a year of overlap when I was doing this 60 hour week day job. And when I did, and when I was starting this business and, you know, that was absolutely the busiest time of my life. And I, I wouldn't replicate it again unless I had to, but it was just really what was necessary to, uh, to make the business successful and, um, you know, and to, and to make everything work. And I, I did end up having to take some money and put it from my day job into that business as I was, you know, operating the business Another thing that I did is I went from this really fancy apartment that I shared with someone. I was spending like a thousand bucks a month on housing and I moved into a room in my buddy's house and I was paying 300 bucks a month for rent for a couple of years. And if I hadn't done some things like that, I, I literally, my business would have failed. The, the month after I opened the business, I, I remember there was a day that I had like $2 and 43 cents in my checking account. And, you know, wow. it's so like, I'm literally just you know, shuffling money around from account to account. I maxed out a couple of credit cards. I was over $40,000 in credit card debt because I just, you know, I had um, a personal line of credit that I took out. One was 30 grand at one bank. Another one was 25 grand at a different bank. And so I really was like all in on this thing. I, mm -hmm. I had to make it work. And luckily I did, but it, you know, there was a there was a period of time there where I was kind of doubting myself and, um, you know, eventually it, it, it all ended up working out, but it was really a tough time. You know, so often we, we, we always hear the success stories, right? And if you read, like, if you pick up, like, Franchise Magazine, right? They make it seem so wonderful, like, oh, you just sign up for the franchise and you pay the fees and suddenly you're rich and it's amazing. <laughs> and, and what they don't realize is there's a hell of a lot of effort, whether it's a franchise model for something like an Anytime Fitness or not. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears from the individual entrepreneur that, that goes into those to, to either make them successful or ultimately uh, they flame out they're not successful. But it's very dependent on the entrepreneur. I absolutely agree with that, Michael. And you know, I'll give you another quick story. So after I quit my day job and my business was generating enough cash flow for me to... Um, you know, for me to sustain my lifestyle, I ended up traveling around the world. And so I went to Central America, South America, and Europe wow. with a backpack. For, and I did that over a period of like six months and came back to the United States, which I, I really enjoyed that time. I would really highly recommend people take time to explore. But when I bought my second Anytime Fitness, it was in a, a state 700 miles away. And when wow. I bought that gym, not only did I not know a single person, I didn't know where I was living, but the other thing that happened was that when the prior owners of the gym told the existing manager that they were selling the club to me, he quit in the middle of a sale and didn't come back. And so I was literally stepped in. The owners were four hours away in Texas, 
And so I literally walked into this business with not a single person to show me what to do. I knew not a single person in the state. And I had a a, 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 a luggage full of clothes and an air mattress that I used to sleep under the desk for the first five nights. And so like, those are the kind of things that I wish people, not, not that I, you know, I, it's, I'm not like, that's not the highlight of my entrepreneurial career, but knowing that I had to go through stuff like that to make that business successful is what I wish people did see. I love it. Yeah. I, I always, you know, we like to highlight not the failures, right. But the struggles, because I think that that educates folks, um, and, and then they can make a more informed and honest uh, decision on, on, you know, whatever they do, whether it's starting a business from scratch or doing a franchise model or becoming a coach or whatever, right? Um, I always say that the, the differentiator, I get to talk to all these entrepreneurs, being a podcaster is the greatest gift because you get to talk to all these people you otherwise would never have gotten to talk to. And people say, man, you've talked to all these great people. What's the one thing? that the successful ones have. And I always say they got hustle, right? Yeah. Like they're going to will right. it to be so. <laughs> so, um, you know, you see that, that Captain Picard, and he's like, make it so. And that's exactly what they do. They just go out and they, they do whatever is necessary to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then you pivoted again. Um, and uh, you, you decided to start Humans First. Um, which is where we're going to focus the majority of this this podcast. Podcast. If uh, the listeners are like, "What is this?" Wait a minute. We, I thought we were talking about technology. We're getting there. Trust <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. me. Um, so, so Rob pivoted again and and started Humans First. Which, um, for those of you that want to follow along at home, it's at humansfirst.us, um, and, and it's got like the coolest little uh, I don't know what you call it, like a little bit emoji. It's just got a happy face. Uh, when you go to the site, it, it just makes you it just makes you happy when you look at it. So uh, talk to us about why did you pivot from being uh, you know a franchise owner then to finding this as your passion? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share share my story about that. So there's one part of the story that I I, I kind of need to tell in order to tie it all together. So after I owned the Anytime Fitness Health Clubs, um, they were kind of past their prime in terms of the business model being competitive. And so I was looking for the next business model. And so I ended up opening up four you break, I fix cell phone, tablet and computer repair stores in Milwaukee. And so if you, I kind of joke that if you look at my career, I sort of have career ADD where I was in finance, then health and fitness, and then technology. But believe it or not, humans first is actually smashing all of those together into this, this new business, this new consultancy that I have, and is really combining all of them, which is really cool. And so the, you know, what I'm doing with Humans First is, is this. Our mission at Humans First is to help humanity understand how technology is impacting mental health, relationships, and productivity at work. And like, I was, um, like we were chatting about earlier, I want to make it clear that I'm not anti-technology. I'm pro-humanity. And I say that because I, I'm a, a total nerd at heart. I built my first computer in middle school. That was in like the, the early 90s. You know, I, um, you know I, I love technology. But what's happening is not 
you know, when technology first came around, like in, let's say in the eighties, right. It was basically all good because it enabled communication and enabled us to do things more quickly and was really helpful to humanity. But we we've eclipsed the point where all technology is good for humanity. It's not all good anymore. And that's what I'm trying to help people understand is that they're doing things to themselves usually that are not serving them well and they're and they're harming their mental health relationships and productivity at work and I'm here to show you those things so that you can make a decision on you know maybe how you want to change your behavior how you want to change your technology use that hopefully will be better for you I, I love so much right I, my head is exploding with all the things I want to I want to kind of talk about it you know those of us with an iPhone um, a couple of versions back the iPhone now tells you how much time you're spending. And it was eye-opening to me. I was like, yeah. holy crap. Like, yeah. I, you know, for me, it was like five point something hours a week that I was spending on my phone. And some of you might be going, that's nothing. For me, that's a lot, right? I am um, a, a productivity kind of nerd, right? I'm up in the morning, I'm voraciously reading, I'm preparing for my day, I come in, I'm full of meetings all day, I'm podcasting, creating videos, I'm like, go, go, go. I go home. I'm intently focused on my family. And, you know, and then I jokingly say, like, I run super hard and try to be productive until like the minute I just can't anymore. And then I just collapse. I go to sleep. I get up and the next day I do it again. Yeah. Um, I like running that way. And then here's the phone that says, hey, you're spending six hours a week screwing around on technology. And I was like, oh my gosh. Right. And I, I made yeah. immediate changes in my life. I was like, Hey, Facebook is good. I want to stay up with my friends. I want to, you know, I want to have some sort of connection because I've moved out of state and that's where all of my friends are. But mm -hmm. I'm going to really make a conscious decision to limit when I use Facebook, how I use Facebook, how long I'm on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think technology has been like, oh, let's make people aware, sort of, kind of, in a hidden way. Maybe they'll find it, maybe they won't. But if you really think about how much time we interact with technology in a non-productive way, right? It, it it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, Michael, I have so many things to share with you, but first of all, I just want to say that your story really resonates with me because, you know, roughly 4 years ago when I started researching all this stuff for Humans First, I was I was saying the exact same thing to myself. I was saying, man, I am like so productivity focused. I've read so many productivity books. I've done so many things about maximizing time, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I already know that I'm super productive. And honestly, with I, I like to say that I'm I like to be my own experiment. And over the last four years, I have been my own experiment and tried so many different things with myself in order to improve my productivity. And let me just tell you that. I thought I was productive before, but I am magnitudes more productive now. I can get three times as much done in a single day than I used to be able to. And I'm happy to share a couple of the things that I do with the listeners in a second. But the first thing that I want to do is just share some statistics with you and the listeners, right? Because I, I love data as an analyst, as a former analyst, I love data. And so you can't, you can't really argue with the data, right? So here's what the data shows. And by the way, these statistics are from before COVID because everyone likes to blame everything on COVID. So I purposefully chose some statistics that don't include COVID. So we can't argue that that's part of the problem. Okay. So in America, before COVID, the average person spent three hours and 46 minutes per day of screen time on their cell phones. 
That's just their cell phones alone. That figure, however, was up 59% in a two-year period. So it increased dramatically in two years, right? Now, you might say to yourself, well, what's happening is that we're probably just spending more time on cell phones and less time on other screens, right? Like TV or computers or whatever. Unfortunately, that isn't true either. And this statistic, by the way, is from Nielsen, who's been measuring this for like 50 years. So it's incredibly accurate. The average person in America, again, before COVID, spent 12 hours and 21 minutes a day in front of screens and media. Let me put it to you another way. Humanity is now spending three quarters of their waking lives in front of screens and media. And so this, this to me is the biggest concern that I have with everything that's happening in humanity, humanity today. And this is why I have named the company Humans First, because unfortunately what's happening is we as a society are putting technology first. We're putting technology ahead of humanity. We're spending three quarters of our lives in front of a screen that isn't natural and it doesn't do natural things for us. There's obviously some negative repercussions from that. For in so many ways. And so that's why I named the company Humans First as a reminder to people that we are here to connect with the hearts and souls of other people, not to connect with a screen. I love it. You, you know, when my kids were growing up, um, many of you that, that follow me know I have too many kids. I, well, not too many. I love them. I have five kids. <laughs> wow. Um, Two are uh, in college. One just graduated from college. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this, right? But he got his first college job at, uh, at Facebook. Uh, so I have insider. No, I don't have insider. <laughs> Please do not call me and ask me what's going on with the Facebook stock. I have no idea. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, for me, I was raising kids different than when how I grew up, right? When mm-hmm. I grew up, we were playing outside. And the rule was be inside before the streetlights go on. So we'd all Love be it. out playing. We were climbing over neighbors' fences. Sorry, neighbors. Um, you know, <laughs> we were doing mischievous boy stuff. We were playing sports. We um, we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It was it was amazing. It was so much fun. Um, we were drinking out of garden hoses. You know, like doing things that today. And then as I watched my kids, I was like, it, it was very different because they were like, oh, I'm talking to my friends, and I was like where are your friends? You know, like, what do you mean you're talking? There's nobody in the house, you know, I would have known if somebody came into my house, and, but no, you know, it was, you know, Oh, we're in um, discord servers or mm. we're in a gaming world, right? I'm an mm. avid gamer. I play all kinds of MMORPGs. Um, I, I, I do all kinds of gaming. I love it, but those are my friends, right? Those are, those are people who I'm participating in a, in a, you know, a technology experience with, but they were calling them their friends. And I was like, wait a minute, like, and now friends are virtual. You've never met these people. Like it, it was really weird for me as a parent, right? I was like, okay, how do I manage this? How do I guide them through this? I've never been through it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do. Um, so, so that was one aspect. And then at work, right? I was an executive at a really large healthcare company and we put a uh, essentially a gate on our external router that allowed us to see where all our employees were spending their time, right? Where mm-hmm. were they going when they left the confines of our of our server farm? The number one site was Facebook. Facebook, oh. The number one site. Thousands and thousands of people. And I'd be like, hey, 
we got a problem and our CIO is like, oh, I'm sure they just left it up. No, they were actively spending most of their day cruising around Facebook, chatting with Aunt Kathy about, you know, the pie that she made last weekend and other irrelevant crap. I was like, we have a huge problem. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I'm going to stop there. Those are just my anecdotes, but I know that'll, that'll fire you off. So to me, I was, I was like, I have a personal problem. I have a professional problem. I don't know how to control it. I don't know how to lead. It. I was a leader of hundreds of people. I'm like, I don't know how to lead through it. Um, it was, it was a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, there's so many, so many, so many directions I could go, but I guess I'll share another story with you about my background that I think will resonate with the readers. And it also kind of helps people understand where I'm going with my company. So when I was in high school, it was a really difficult time for me because I had extremely bad and very crippling acne. It was so bad that I had to take Accutane, the strongest thing on the market for acne. I had to take two courses of it just so that I could get rid of it. And eventually it cleared up, but, but basically by the end of my senior year. And so this, you know, this really bad acne caused me to have very low self-esteem, sure. you know, self-worth. It was really hard for me to connect with people. And it, you know, it made high school very difficult. I mean, one year, I didn't even go to my yearbook picture because I just didn't want people to remember my face that way. And, you know, one of the unfortunate mm -hmm. side effects of this acne was that I actually became addicted to video games. And now this was in the mid 90s before most people even had a cell phone, but my family computer was in my bedroom because that was the only place we had to put it in the house. And so I ended up getting addicted to these, these video games. And so, I, you know, I kind of say that I was addicted to technology before it was cool to be addicted to technology. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but the reason I mention that is, you know, I saw the negative effects of technology before a lot of people even had any technology. And then at other points in my life, as my bio kind of said, I was also addicted to Facebook and I was addicted to my email for my job. Mm -hmm. And so I have personally seen in many different ways how technology can be negative for your life. And I want to help people avoid that, especially children, because I think that you know, and, and there's a lot of ways, there's so much data now, and there's a lot of ways that we could talk about this, but I truly believe that this, the, you know, Gen Z and, and people younger than Gen Z are going to have an extremely tough time navigating the world because they grew up in an, in, a, in an era where there was always technology and it was so integral to everything in life. And again, there's some positives to that, but there's also so many negatives that we have not even Fully, we can't even fully comprehend them yet because they haven't played out. But I truly believe that this is the could be the first generation that is substantially worse off than the prior generations, and it's because of how and how much they use technology. You know, it's um, it's it's really interesting, right? Because um, we're 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 in catch up mode for sure as uh, as technologists. Um, there's good and there's bad, right? Um, we were talking before we started the recording. Facebook would love nothing more than for you to spend your entire day. And it's not just Facebook. We're, we're, we're picking on Facebook. Pick TikTok, uh, Instagram. Oh, Facebook owns Instagram. Um, my bad. Um, right? It, it doesn't mean that Facebook is evil. They're doing what they're supposed to do as a company, which is to attract you and retain you so that they can present ads to you, right? Which is how they make money. Yeah, but but I you know I, I think that there's a little bit different 
responsibility than Mark Zuckerberg and, and the media lead you to believe. And the reason I know this is because Francis Haugen, who is the Facebook whistleblower who came out last October and revealed all this amazing information, uh, you know, really paints a different picture of Facebook. So let me let me just go back a little bit and talk about what she revealed, right? So by the way, Facebook, what a lot of people don't understand about Facebook is there's 2.9 billion people on the platform. But the scariest part is that there's a single human being who controls the social fabric of those 2.9 people, and it's Mark Zuckerberg. And you would say, well, Rob, Facebook's a publicly held company. How is that possible? The reason is because Mark Zuckerberg has 55% voting rights at Facebook. So there is not a single human on this planet who can tell Mark Zuckerberg what to do, even if they're on the board of Facebook, because he outvotes everybody. And so think about this for a second. We have one human being who makes decisions that affect 2.9 billion people with zero checks and balances. None. Mm-hmm. That cannot be. I don't care if that person is Gandhi or Mother Teresa. They're still not equipped to make decisions that affect 2.9 billion people. They're just not. Agreed. And that's exactly what we have happening right now. And so interesting. It's just that's interesting to just think about. But let, let me give an example of two things that happened in 2018 and why. And this has already happened, you know, so you can't you, we cannot debate. This has been proven, by the way, by the whistleblower with internal documents from Facebook that were leaked to these news outlets. So here's what happened. So in 2018, Facebook had this internal team at the company, not an external um consultant, but an internal team with Facebook's own employees who did this research. They brought this research to Mark Zuckerberg and the research showed two important things. The first one is is that the research showed that Instagram, because of its algorithm, was causing teens to be depressed and even suicidal, causing them. Facebook knew this. The other thing that it was showing is that Facebook's algorithm was purposefully pitting people against each other online to show them anger-inducing and insightful content because that kind of content gets more engagement, which to Facebook means that there's more time spent on the platform, which means that Facebook makes more money. And so Mark Zuckerberg knew both of these things. And he knew that there was being harm done to teenagers and basically harm done to 2.9 billion people on the platform because they're shown negative information that makes them hate each other. And you know what he did? He did fucking nothing. Sorry about mm-hmm. the swears for your listeners, the, the cursing, but it makes me so upset that I, 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 I just, I do not know how that human Mark Zuckerberg can sleep at night knowing that he's doing this. And you know, he wants to, you know, he, as the whistleblower said, like Mark makes it seem like, oh, he didn't know what to do or there, what he, there wasn't a clear solution. And you know what? I'm, I'm not saying that I have the perfect solution either, but there is a way to prevent suicide related content on Facebook and you're just not doing enough, Mark. And so I just don't believe that Mark mm-hmm. Zuckerberg is a good human being, despite all the things that he's going to tell you and all the things he's going to say to defer or, you know, um, negate this responsibility that he has. And, and I just, and I really just wish that the all the people on Facebook could know what I just said, because I really think it would make them think differently about the platform. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting, right? Um, I, I always try to approach things with like good intent, right? Like I think it started with good intent, um, yeah. But to be made aware of of the harms of technology of which you control and to do nothing, yeah. 
you know, that inaction is action. <laughs> exactly. And you yeah. know, what's interesting to me is let's, let's take a different analogy, right? Let's take, let's pretend I'm a bullet manufacturer and I make bullets for guns. And let's say I found out. And so, cause what Mark Zuckerberg always likes to say is, well, it's impossible to make, you know, prevent a hundred percent of this negative information from being uh, disseminated. And I'm not, I, I maybe agree that it's impossible to make a hundred percent disseminated, but what about like 99.99% or something? Right. And, but the reason that Mark Zuckerberg can't get to 100% or even close is because it just is more expensive. It takes more effort and more human labor, which makes Facebook less, less profitable. And the analogy I give is if I'm a gun, if I'm a bullet manufacturer and I find out that one out of 100 bullets backfires and kills the user, uh, I'm probably going to do something or, and even if I don't, I would have like, I government would regulate me that, and make me have to do something. And mm-hmm. or I just would not feel good as a bullet manufacturer that's killing people. And I would stop manufacturing bullets, but like Mark Zuckerberg yeah. is that manuf- gun- bullet manufacturer and he just didn't do anything. And he's just like, oh, I'm just going to keep killing people. And that's totally cool. I'm just making a bunch of money. Yeah. And I don't I- I, I mean, it's 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 interesting, right? You alluded uh, to one aspect, right, which is government regulation, which is kind of woefully, as you'd expect, right, woefully behind um, the expanse of technology. Uh, you know, short of like executive orders, like TikTok ownership has to transfer from China to Oracle. You know, like crazy things right. like that. That that is is just insanity. But government isn't going to save us here. Um, no, you know we're too far, too fast, and it's not slowing down anytime soon. I, I always point to uh, the movie Ready Player One, right? Yeah, and we are we are railing super fast towards Ready Player One, where mm-hmm. people are just isolating. They're wearing their their visors. Um, they're they're in in that environment. They're getting communicated with. They're meeting their friends for those of you on the podcast i'm air quoting friends because you know that's a whole debatable subject of whether you're online people who you play a video game with that have never physically met never shaken their hand never looked them in the eyes are they really your friends um uh-huh. i believe there's some connection there but um I, you know we're missing that that human to human contact that's that's historically so important yeah. um romances form online and all this like stuff happens in this virtual world, um, and I know like my my group of parent friends and such are like, oh my gosh, how do we control it? And there's some apps. Um, I think we're getting better at getting some apps on some of these devices to to help control both screen time, what they access. I mean, I personally have a story with my daughter where she was on an app that I wish. Uh, I could shut down called live.me. Mm. Um, it is a horrible app. Every parent uh, that's listening, go look at your kids' phones. If they have live.me on there, uh, that is bad, bad news. Um, you know, it's, um, we're gamifying our kids to, to be popular. We're gamifying our kids to have the most viewers. Um, we're, we're gamifying, um, people to take actions in an online environment unregulated and, and it appears good and, and in some cases it truly is good right and mm-hmm. you know i'm producing a podcast i am gamifying folks to like my podcast so that i get more listeners so that i can have a wider audience there is mm-hmm. no ill intent in me producing a podcast 
right? Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to uh, to cause action or create any ill will. Um, but that is a very small percentage, I think, of the technology that's out there that's yeah. trying to force people onto their platforms, usually to gain more ad revenue. Um, and it's just growing expansively, and it almost seems like there's no end to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to give you you and the listeners a story about um, myself and my grandma, and I think it will illustrate what you were saying earlier about how a lot of relationships are going digital. So, my grandma is eighty six. You know, she's uh, you know she's getting up there, and um, during COVID, you know, I still called her every couple months just to check mm-hmm. on her because I had visited home a bunch of times, but I didn't want to see her because if I was traveling and I gave her COVID and something happened, I would really feel terrible. And so, you know, I talked to her every so often and I really enjoyed my conversations with her, but I found it interesting. So when we both got vaccinated and I saw her in person for the first time, she said to me, hey, come, you know, it's great to see you, Rob, come and give me a hug. And it's interesting, right? Because you'd think like, okay, well, we've, you know, we've been talking on the phone a bunch and I felt like I was still pretty connected with her, but she still wanted a hug the very first thing after we saw each other. And what people don't realize and what I'm trying to help others understand is, is this. So there's an actual chemical response that is different in your brain, depending on the method of communication. So for instance, warm human touch and being in the physical presence with someone and having a good connection with them releases the most amount of oxytocin and serotonin when you're with that person, that release of oxytocin, especially it makes us feel cared for and loved and it makes us feel like there's social support. Mm -hmm. And what happens is as you go away from that in-person interaction, let's say to a phone call or to a text message, the amount of serotonin and oxytocin released are lower. And so when I text my grandma, I love you, grandma, she and her brain interpret that very differently from a chemical sense than if I give my grandma a hug and say, I love you, grandma. They're very different. It's it's not just a perception thing. It's act, the actual chemicals in our brain re, are released in different amounts, or sometimes not at all, depending on how we communicate with people. And as you could guess by the direction things are going, we're going toward this, you know, direction where where everything is digital and there's not as much oxytocin and serotonin released, and instead we're all the tech companies are trying to play to our very basic instinct to have uh, or seek dopamine or like a reward center. And that's what a lot of these tech companies are doing is they're designing dopamine-based experiences where it gives us these quick hits of dopamine. So we're essentially trading oxytocin and serotonin-based relationships for a dopamine-based digital dependency. And I think this is the core part of the core problem here because we're humans aren't mm-hmm. uh, yes we're meant to like search for a reward but that's a survival mechanism to get food we we the the real thing that we are meant to do is connect with and be with other humans and instead we're all being incentivized to do something individually and s- satisfy our dopamine based needs and i don't think this is good yeah i i, I love so much of that um because because i i just don't think we're aware we're not. I, I, We're not. I, I think people just, you know, they um, they go through their lives and they they get caught up in all this. And, and you know, cell phones are one thing kind of reminding you how much screen time um, companies are getting 
smarter about what their employees are doing at work. I, I spend a bunch of time consulting with large companies that are like, hey, we're thinking about bringing people back to work, right? And there's this big mm -hmm. resistance. People, people don't want to go back to work. They, they want to be, <clears throat> they want to be at home. They want to be with their loved ones. They want to be with their family. Um, so we're talking about hybrid work, right? And my whole thing is, I don't think people need to necessarily come back to the hive, but I do think um, from someone who's, you know, worked remotely and worked at home, um, I don't like working at home by myself yeah. alone. Yeah. So I joined a work co-op, right? I joined here in Phoenix. We have an amazing co-op called Galvanize. It's a tech yeah. startup, uh, tech startup co-op. So I'm around other techno geeky nerds like myself. I love it. We come and we commune over, you know, iced coffee or kombucha or have a beer together. And it's that human contact, even though we don't work together, even though, you know, we're not friends, right? But mm. other humans, it, it's super important, right? I thrive on that as much as I enjoy my, my gaming friends when I'm playing World of Warcraft. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a, again, I love the data. So I, I have a statistic for this, Michael, that I'm sure awesome. you and the listeners will find interesting, right? So Robin Dunbar, he's done all this. He's a very famous psychologist has done research on human relationships. I love his work. And one of the things he measured is how often does, do, do two people need to see each other in person, not, not digitally, like not on Zoom or in a phone call, but in person in order to maintain a sense of closeness between mm -hmm. the two people. And okay. what he found is that the sense of closeness between two people drops by about 80% after five months if they haven't seen each other in person, 80%. Wow. And so what to me, what that kind of means or my rule of thumb is that if I want to see or if I want to maintain a sense of closeness between me and someone else in my life, doesn't matter who it is, I need to see them in person at least four times a year, in person. No, there's no substitute for it. It's not a Zoom call. It's not a phone call. It's in person. And if you think about it, I mean, how many people do we see in person four times a year? That number of people is not that high and it's getting lower. It's, it's getting less. It's getting to be less people every year as we go on. Um, and, and, you know, that to me is, you know, like I, I kind of have a, um, a challenge to the listeners. Here's mm -hmm. the way I, I, I challenge people to think about things. So let's just take social media. Again, I like to pick on it because it's really one of the biggest things that we use in terms of how much time we spend. In America, the average person spends two hours and 14 minutes a day on social media across all platforms and all devices. So it's basically like a part-time job, right? Here's the way I, or here's the challenge that I have for people. If you just take your social media time and cut it in half, so now you're still allowed to spend an hour on social media a day, but with that extra hour you have, take that and spend that with someone that you haven't seen or talked to in at least three months. And ideally, you see them in person like a coffee, a lunch, a dinner, whatever. But if you can't do that for some reason, you call them on the phone or you do a Zoom call with them and you spend that hour each day doing that with someone. I promise you that the amount of joy and happiness in your life will be so much greater than spending that extra hour on social media. I promise you. But it just it takes a little bit more effort than just scrolling on your phone when you get home from work. But it is so it is so worth it. You know, one of the other um, challenges that I, I threw out, um, we were talking about relationships. And I said the number of times I'll be visiting somebody's house or 
uh, on business trips or whatever, and I see people sitting together and everybody's on their phones, right? Oh, Both families at work, everybody's on a device. And I'm like, you're really not together. No, like, no, we're, we're here. We're together. Sometimes they're even texting each other. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Um, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. You know, sometimes I'll text my wife. I'll be in one end of our house and she'll be on the other end of our house. And it's not like, oh, some 19 room mansion, but our house does run rather long. And so I'll text her and she'll like scream at me. She'll be like, why are you texting me? We're in the same house. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I need to drag my lazy body over and go talk to my wife. But you know, I mean, I, I was challenging folks. I said, just just pick and start with like an hour a week and just put all your phones in a stack on the kitchen counter yeah. and stare at each other, right? Because mm -hmm. amazing things are going to happen. You're going to be like, so how was your day? And at first you're going to get good, you know, typical <laughs> right. teen answer. My day was good, you know, <laughs> and then ask open-ended questions like, really? What would you do today? Who would you talk to? How was that history exam? Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, rebuild those relationships because if you don't think they're damaged, they are, right? Yeah. Kids, kids, more, more kids. I don't have a stat. I love all your stats. I don't have a stat on this. But kids, like, are feeling more detached from their parents than yeah. ever. And, yeah. and part of that's a kid's fault. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to parent blame being a parent. I sympathize. But part of that is the parent's fault because you're – Keeping up on social media, you're out there posting on Facebook to try to show off your wonderful life to all these people who you'll never see again, right? All these people who keep up with their classmates from high school. How many, when are you ever going to see them again? Are you ever going to see them again? Maybe your best friend or maybe your besties, but 80% of those 90, I'll, I'll go higher, 90% of those people you will never see again, yet you feel some need to communicate with them on social media instead of putting that crap down and interacting with the world around you. Go meet a new friend, right? Go talk to an elderly person, for God's sakes. Go go do something good in the world. Um, and then my, my other tangent to, to kind of what you just said is a lot of times people will be like, oh, Michael, you had this great guest on. And, you know, again, back to they hustle, right? Entrepreneurs, how do I do something like that? Like, can you put me in contact with them? And I'll be like, hey, where do you spend your time? Do you have the time to do this? Oh, I don't have a whole lot of time. Really? What do you do with your day? Yeah. And they tell me all this crap. And it's not just social media, right? They'll sit in front of YouTube. They'll sit in front of oh. Hulu, Netflix. Video games. The idiot box, my dad used to call it. They will sit in front of the idiot box that's just making them dumb, dumb, and dumber. And 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 then they tell me they don't have time to pursue an entrepreneurial journey like the guests on my show. And I'm like, I'm not making that intro. I'm not putting my name associated with your lazy behavior mm -hmm. for somebody who's a rock star like that who's out there hustling to, to make it. Because you're going to fail, and then they're going to look at me and go, why would you introduce me to that person? Right. It's not just social media and it's not just mobile phones, but that's my challenge. Right. Disconnect from some of all this technology, whether it's handheld devices, computers, tele televisions, you know, and, and just look around you at the world around you. Right. Yeah. Who, who has talked to their neighbors recently? Anybody yeah. good? Not not just the person next to you because you want to trim a tree. Like, have you actually <laughs> talked to them? Like we had a block party last week in our cul-de-sac and we had almost a hundred people there. 
It was That's amazing. awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, something you said um, reminded me, you know, it's, it's kind of hard, right? Because people don't, people kind of say, well, how do we get here? Because it seems, everything seems normal now, right? Like is it's normal to just not talk to my kids where it's normal for everyone to look, <laughs> you know, be sitting next to each other and looking on their phones together. But here, here, and, I, and I've thought tr- critically about why, why we don't realize that that isn't good. And I think the reason is because although technology is generally adopted pretty quickly, Still, you know, it's really been over the last about 20 years that, you know, that that things have changed. And even though let's say it's 15 years because the iPhone came out in 2007. Right. And we're now in 2022. So it's about 15 years. And and so it's you know, it's not like everyone woke up one day and they were spending almost four hours of screen time on their cell phone. It was like, oh, in the beginning, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to send, you know, in the let's say in 2009, people like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I send a couple text messages a day or I might go on the Internet just a little bit on my phone. And then very slowly over the next decade, that changed. And so now because that change was so gradual, you know, we don't we don't we just haven't stopped and looked around and thought a little bit about what we're doing because we're just like, oh, yeah, it's kind of normal now. But it really, you know, in my opinion, a lot of it, 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 it's normal, but it's not it's not healthy or it's normal, but it's not what's best for us. And that's again, that's the kind of awareness I'm trying to generate for people or, or help people see is that maybe, you know, maybe it's time to just take a little, like an inventory of your habits and and what's important to you in your life and see if your actions are lining up with those things that are important. Because to me, here, here's what I'm seeing, right? A lot of people say that the, here in general, in, in life as a whole, here's how people think about what's important. If they're religious, they generally say that religion is important. The second thing is family, and the third thing is their health, right? So religion, family, and health. And if you're not religious, then family and health. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we are completely disregarding all three of those things and instead taking all of our energy and putting it into screens and media. And and, and so we're not, in my opinion, we're not being our, – our actions and, and what we're spending time on and what are truly important, they're not lining up anymore. And I don't – and I just think it's – it's time for us to realign those incentives and our and our actions and our and our priorities a little bit. I love it, and I want to get to um, how do we maybe some tips that you have, and then I also want to talk a little bit about um, a four day work week around yeah. corporate productivity. Yeah. But I, my, my other comment is right. If you're at least aware, I, I love what you're trying to do with creating awareness, right? Because if if you're aware and then want to consciously make a change, right? There's ways you can use your Oculus and still, you know, use it in a positive way, right? You can go on to Oculus if you haven't, if you don't have an Oculus. Um, I'm not suggesting you go out and spend three hundred dollars on an Oculus, but if you have one or have access to one, you should check it out from a technology perspective. They have an amazing game on there called Supernatural. It is an amazing fitness app, right? I the only time my Oculus sits on my desk, I don't use it. I'm not consumed by it. I purposely put it on when I want to do a workout and I can't get to the gym and I use Supernatural. Sure, it costs me $10 a month or whatever, um, but it puts me through some of the best personal training I've ever had, right? I'm right. intent with how I use that technology and mm. then I step away from it, right? Mm-hmm. So you can you can leverage technology, you know, uh, you just have to be intent about it. Mm-hmm. Awareness creates the desire 
to to change your your life and be intent. Um, maybe you could share with us just some 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 tips and tricks, like how how do folks make a change now that we've created some awareness? Yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up, Michael. And the way that I kind of describe this entire area of research is technology mindfulness, right? That's what I mm. that's what I'm saying that this is. It's really technology mindfulness. And the way I define technology mindfulness is it's using technology in a way that serves you instead of you being enslaved to it. I want it, it to serve me. I don't want I don't want it to be the other way around. I, I don't want to be in service to technology. And so there's so many different, I mean, literally like the entire, my entire company is predicated around this. So I, I mean, there's, you know, dozens of ways that I could, I could, uh, you know, or tips that I could give people. But I guess the first one is this awareness because with awareness starts behavior change. And if you're not aware of something, you can't change your behavior. So that's, that really is the first thing is mm-hmm. pay, paying attention or, or, or being mindful of how the technology is affecting you and just starting to pay attention. And that just that process alone, paying attention, that could take three to six months if you were really trying to do a good job. And again, I've been paying attention for four years and there's still things that I realize now that, oh, like I do this thing when I'm using my phone like this. And, you know, maybe that's, I could change that. But beyond just this awareness, the, all the techniques that I suggest to people are meant to use technology as like a guidepost for behavior. It's it's designed so that you don't have to rely as much or not at all on your willpower to make changes. Because if you're relying on willpower, eventually willpower wears out. It's like a muscle. And as you use it throughout the day, it gets weaker and weaker. And this is, for instance, why at the end of the day, people make bad decisions about what to eat, like they eat dessert or they you know, have that glass of wine because their willpower is so depleted that they don't have the ability to make a good decision anymore. It's not necessarily their fault. But so, so here's, here's an example, very simple example, right? Let's say you say to yourself, I want to use social media a little bit less, which I really hope that a lot of people would consider after listening to this. I, I have two, I have two kind of methods to do that. Right. And both of them in both of these methods, you could still use social media as much as you want, whenever you want and however long you want. Like there's not, I'm not restricting that. But here's the first potential solution. The first one is to take all your social media apps and move them from your home screen, the one that you see when you open up your phone, to the very last screen of apps. Mm -hmm. And so what this does, and again, this sounds incredibly simple, right? And it is. You literally could do this in 30 seconds. It doesn't take a lot of effort. But here's what's going to happen is the next time you open your phone, and you're going to, you're probably going to go to that place where the social media was and just instinctively hit it. And in the next week, you're going to see how many times you open up your phone and just instinctively hit this space where the social media used to be and that your brain is basically on autopilot to just use these platforms. And it's going to kind of scare the crap out of you, but that's good because now you're not on autopilot anymore. What it's doing is it's in, it's in uh, introducing a little bit more friction so that it takes you more effort to get to those apps and that will dramatically decrease your use, or at least I hope it would. It doesn't always for every single person, but it can. The mm-hmm. other solution, which is a little bit more extreme, the one that I've taken is that I have now, and, and I just uh, encourage the listeners to keep an open mind and listen to the whole thing before you react. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, the other suggestion is to completely delete social media off your phone. 
However, you can use it as much as you want or as often as you want from a desktop computer or a laptop. So still unlimited use. I'm not taking anything away from you. You can still use it. It just has to be on a desktop or laptop computer, which clearly makes it less convenient. That's the whole point. But you, I'm not, so you still get use of it, but now you have to be more, way more intentional and deliberate about your use of social media. And what you'll find is that you'll probably use it way less. And all these studies about technology, and the, the, the good news about getting rid of the social media is that, and all these studies show that this, you know, if you're addicted, let's say like I was to Facebook, um, you will, it will take you about one week to adjust, but after a week, you'll pretty much be fine. Whereas, you know, withdrawal mm -hmm. from other things like substances like alcohol or other drugs can take months, right? And so the great news is that withdrawal from social media or other technologies generally only lasts about a week. So if you can just get through a week, you're going to be totally in the clear. You know, I, I love both those. W one of the other comments I always get is, um, it, you know, well, I use it for messaging, right? It's how I talk to folks. Okay, okay. So are, are you aware that you can download the Messenger app separate from Facebook, right? So I have, I, I happen to have both. Um, my son happens to work at Facebook. He happens to work on the Messenger platform. It's one of the top, it's only behind like whatever the messaging platform is in China. I can't remember what it is. It's not WhatsApp. Um, it's a number one messaging platform that people use, right? Thank you, AOL, for going going bust because AOL Messenger used to be the number one. Then it was mm -hmm. Yahoo until Yahoo self imploded. And now it's it's Facebook Messenger. So if you want to use Facebook Messenger to talk to your mom, your grandma, whatever, um, you know, then just download the separate app, right? And use it for messaging, just like texting, right? Send your message, whatever, your pictures, that's great. And you don't have to get sucked into the vortex of Facebook where you're, you know, seeing people who you'll, again, never see again ever, and you haven't seen them for 20 years anyway, uh, pictures of their new cat that they brought home. And then you feel <laughs> the need to compel compulsively like it, which does absolutely nothing for anybody, right? Yeah. So I, I love so much what you said. The other comment that I had is, you know, this controlling, going back to the, 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 the kind of like Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook kind of controlling you, nobody wants to be controlled, right? So why would you let this, this thing happen to you, right? And, and again, I'll go back to my Ready Player One analogy. If you watch that movie, and if you haven't watched that movie, your homework is to go watch that movie and then read Ready Player Two, the book, because uh, it's also very good. But um, Nolan Sorrento is the guy who leads the Sixers, right? And the Sixers are the company that controls you within the environment that is Ready Player One, right? And everybody is controlled by Nolan Sorrento. He's one guy who leads the Sixers, which are this autonomaton, autonomatron army, you know, that controls everyone in this world. And when I say we're railing right towards it, when you watch that movie, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I see the parallels to this. I see the parallels. I see the parallels. I see the parallels. It is not a good movie. I mean, it's a great movie, but that future, which we're railing down towards, nobody wants that future. It is, it is not good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, to, um, I have a couple, com couple comments about the messaging and this connectedness that you were talking about. And so, first of all, you know, and I, I agree with 
what Mark was doing when Facebook first started, that making the world open and connected is a good thing in general, right? I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Yeah. But I, and I, but I legitimately think that the, the part of the problem that Mark does not realize is that every, almost everything in psychology in excess has a negative externality or a, a cost. And so let me give you this example, right? So, and, and, so, and this to me is, it's not, it's not just Facebook, right? It's the entire world being super connected. Of course, again, there's many great things about it, but there's also many negative things that no one's even thinking about. So here's an example. Let's pretend we're cavemen and cavewomen 20,000 years ago, right? Generally, those people existed in a tribe of 150 people or less in one tribe, right? So in the tribe, then there, if it's half women and half men, there's 75 men, 75 women. Well, if I'm one of the 75 men and I'm comparing myself to the other 74 men as because I'm thinking to myself, hey, like I want to go and try to mate with one of these other or, you know, be married to one of these other 75 women. Um, you know, I'm, I'm essentially have a very small group of people that I need to compete with and that I'm comparing myself with. Right. These other 74 men. Well, and so, you know, the chances that. um you know, that I could be reasonably, you know, good looking compared to them or reasonably competitive or whatever are, are kind of high because there's not really that many other men. But now if I go on social media or any of the other, and it's not just social media, if I even just go on regular media, right? Like on CNN.com or something, and I see there's all these other people that are super successful, super beautiful, super talented, super whatever, Right. Now I'm comparing myself, not just to 75 other people of the same sex, but to 75 million or seven and a half billion that are basically in the world. And there's no way that I'm ever going to be the most successful, the most rich, the most whatever talented because the, the, the pool of comparison is exponentially larger than it ever would have been many years ago. And so I think this one single thing, this extreme connectedness and comparing ourselves to other people. And by the way, you're, you're probably even doing it subconsciously. It's not like you're actively saying to yourself, oh, that person, whatever. Like I think this, it, you're, it's subconscious, right? And I think that just that one thing and the amount of comparison that you're doing um, is, is incredibly damaging. As mm -hmm. an, the reason I believe this is if you look at the history of eating disorders in America, when did eating disorders take off? It was in the 1960s. Well, why? What happened then? That was when TV first became available and was put in American homes. Mm. And so all these people, especially females, were comparing themselves to other females. And then they became, you know, then they had eating disorders. And so think about that. If that's what happened in the 1960s with TV, what is happening to the 4.2 billion people connected to the internet today? Yeah. That's happening on a massive scale that no one even realizes is happening. That's a great example. Um, we've been talking about personal, right? Kind of on the personal side. If we flip that, um, if we flip that to the work side, yeah. Um, it, which you know we're we're already uh, at, at you know at an hour on this podcast, right? That's how passionate I think you're going to see. Both, both Rob and myself are around this topic, right? It's important. People should pay attention to this. Personally, right? Manage your family. I always say manage your shit, right? This is part <laughs> of like managing your shit. 
Don't get sucked in. Don't get suckered. Don't get gamified. Um, as a technologist, I want to gamify you, right? When I build stuff, customer experiences, sure, it's beauty, beautiful and pretty and stuff, but I'm gamifying you. I, I can tell you what path you're going to walk down because I build it that way. So mm -hmm. careful, right? Mm -hmm. um, on the professional side, there's a lot, right? But it, And we're not going to do it justice. I know that. But what are some tips, right, uh, to be more productive? How do you manage technology at work? Yeah, and I mean, there's, I mean, we could even we could just take one tip and talk the whole hour about that legitimately, but um, because it, it, there's just so many nuances to it. But here, let me just again, I'll give you a bunch more statistics, and then I'll kind of give you a few tips, right? That allow you know that I think they're very practical for users. So um, here's what I see happening, and this is across virtually every company in America. So you're, if you're experiencing this, you are not alone. But um, the the majority, now over 50% of US workers are stressed and burned out. It's not only the highest mm. number it's ever been relative to ourselves in this country, but we are also the most stressed and burned out country in the, in the world compared to other mm. countries, which is really unfortunate, right? I believe the cause of that is the amount of distractions that we have at work. And you might say, well, Rob, like that doesn't, why is that a big deal? Let me explain. I'll give you some numbers and then I can, you know, give you a few examples of how you can change that. So let's say you're at your job and you're just having an amazing day. You're just crushing it. You feel like everything is going your way. You're getting a ton done. Everything is just falling into place. It's an amazing day, right? That state of mind is called flow. So it's a psych, it's like it's a psychology term called flow. And when you are in flow in work, all, there's this data that shows that you are up to 500% more productive, 500%. So what that means is when you're in flow at work, you can get more done in 2 hours than you can get done in an entire day without flow. Wow. So you're like, oh, awesome, right? Like I definitely want to be in flow. Everybody does, right? Absolutely. Now here's the problem. When you're in flow and you get interrupted, it takes you 23 minutes to get back into flow. Well, here are a couple other statistics. Uh, the average person checks their email and Slack inboxes once every six minutes, and then they get a notification on their smartphone once every 15 minutes. So what this means is that the average worker is never in flow ever, and they're always getting distracted and never doing as much or as high quality work as they could be ever. Wow. And so the, the, the key then is to, <clears throat> excuse me, and I, I'm a huge fan of calendar time blocking. I think that that one single productivity hack has exponentially changed my productivity. But I think what happens is a lot of people time block their calendar, but then they do other things during that time to ruin it, like check their email, take phone calls, you know, take appointments, whatever. And then it, and, and they, again, they're just interrupting themselves or allowing themselves to get interrupted. And then it, it basically ruins their productivity during that time. So what are some things that you can do? Some very practical, simple things. The first one is you can turn off almost all notifications on your phone which is something that 85% of people have not done. They've not adjusted their notifications whatsoever. And that's really simple. You just go into the settings, go to the notifications section, and then just tick off almost everything. For me personally, what I've decided to do is uh, or, um, remove all notifications except for phone calls, text messages, and travel apps like you know my Southwest app to make sure that my flight isn't delayed. Everything mm -hmm. else is turned off in terms of notifications. 
Another thing though is uh, you can close your email during that time or, or, or at least at the very least d- disable the notifications on your computer. I actually think it's easier to just simply close my email because otherwise you're just going to be too, you know, too, too, um, you know, tempted to, to check it. But uh, another thing is, and I know that a lot of people probably use Slack, right? So I will uh, give you another, what I think is a very helpful thing that I, I recently did is you can set a notification set schedule on Slack. So basically, like, I don't give a crap about Slack. I really hate it. I only use it because one person that I mainly correspond with uses it and, you know, I need to use it for there. But basically how I've said it is that I'm only notified on things with Slack between 3 and 5 p.m. each day. That's it. I don't get notifications for anything else because I don't want to and it's not helpful for me. And so that basically eliminates that as another distraction. And so, again, there's all these ways that you can use technology to be a, a guidepost for you so that you can still use it in a way that serves you, but it's not completely taking over your time and attention. I love it. Um, for those of you that use Windows computers, and I'm hybrid, I use both, um, you can go to your little, next to your little Windows icon, to the right of your Windows icon in that search bar, and you can type Focus Assist. Um, it's a relatively new uh, Microsoft tool, right? A lot of us get in our emails if you use Outlook, you get like Outlook is trying, I think Microsoft legitimately is trying to help um, with some of this. And they're sending you like, hey, here's what your week looks like. Here's when you have open blocks. Do you want to block work time or a break or lunch? Um, you should say hell yes to all that shit, right? Um, I love what you said about blocking, time blocking. Um, I go through on, um, first thing, all my Fridays are blocked until I get to Monday. When I get to Monday, I open up that Friday. Because if I didn't do that, people would be like, oh, Michael, I'd love to spend an hour with you. Great. Sometime in July, you should be able to find an hour on my calendar. (laughs) That's how insane my calendar is. So I have to manage it. I don't have, you know, I don't don't have an executive assistant that manages my life for me. I used to, and she was amazing, and I miss you, Lenore. But... um, you know, I have to do that myself. So the week before, I do exactly what you said with, with like calendar blocking. I go, okay, what do I need to work on next week? Okay, I need an hour for this. So I'll schedule an hour meeting on my own calendar for me to just do work, right? Yes. Um, and then I put a focus assistant on that that takes care of all notifications on my PC. It doesn't matter if somebody sends me an email, a Slack, a Teams, or whatever. Focus assistant protects me Um when I, when I turn it on, i got to remember to turn it off or people think I've died. But mm-hmm. um, it, it allows me to, to focus. And then my only other challenge is, I love what you said, right? People get distracted and they start doing other shit. Manage your shit. Do what you say you were going to do during that time period. Knock it off. Stop getting distracted. It's not time to wander around and hang out in the lounge and you know, <laughs> uh, surf YouTube and all this other shit. If you really want to be productive, there's no excuse to not be productive. It, it's people that have low self-esteem. Low, low, that's not that's not fair. Not self-esteem, but self-control, right? And they're easily distracted. And and you got to work on that, right? There's your self-help tip. Go fix that and 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 figure out what if you really want to be productive. Not not just say you want to be productive, but actually be productive, so that you can make changes in your life, so that you can. Get yourself to an entrepreneurial lifestyle if that's what you want. Or whatever it is that your drive is, you 
got to get your shit in order and you've got to make changes within yourself so that, you know, the, the universe delivers um, what it is that you that you say, you know, you need. Like, you've got to do those actions. Uh, yeah, really, I really like how you said that, Michael. And um, one more tip and then one more thought for you. So Perfect. another thing that I do during my, I call it GSD time, which is get shit done time. Uh, one thing that I do during GSD time is I actually have my phone automatically, it sets a do not disturb schedule automatically during my GSD time every day. And so, you know, from 8 to 11 a.m. every day, my phone goes dark. And, you know, it, it's just automatic. Like, I don't even, I don't even, it's automated, right? So it. I, that's super helpful for me because then it's like, oh, yeah, when I look at my phone and, I, and it's all dark and it's 8 a.m., I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I need to be doing my GSD time now. But the other thing that I, um, you know, that resonated with me that it reminded me of when you, when you were just talking is this. I really think it's helpful to think of things in this way. When you are saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So when you're saying yes to surfing Facebook in the middle of the day for 30 minutes, what you're really saying no to is spending extra time with your family that you want to spend or exercising or whatever else in your life it is that you want to prioritize. You're saying yes to Facebook or you're saying yes to screwing around on the internet and you're saying no to time with your family, which to me is, I mean, again, it's your choice. Like you can choose to do that or not, but what is really more important to you? Is it Facebook or is it your family? Unfortunately, for a lot of people, they don't realize that they're inherently saying Facebook's more important because people are spending three hours a day on social media, but then complain they don't have time to see their family. Well, that's not true. What you're really just saying is that Facebook is more important than your family, which mm-hmm. like I know is almost sort of offensive for people to hear, but I think like you kind of got to hear that as a wake-up call. Like, do you, do, like, is, is your family really... And more important than Facebook, are, are you really saying, are you really showing that with how you spend your time? I, you know, I, I challenge people all the time to, to be honest with themselves, which for some people is a struggle, right? But be honest with yourself and keep a time lock. Where do you spend your time? And I think, and do it for a week, not a day, because anybody can be great for a day, but be honest, right? Write down what you did. You know, I'm not talking like, oh, I went to the restroom for 36 seconds or whatever. Like nobody cares about that, but like what activities are you doing during an entire week, a normal week? Better yet, do it for two weeks and then look back on it and go, is that really where I want to spend my time? Is that really what I want to do? Is that, is that going to get me to my goals? Is that going to get me to be an entrepreneur or start a business or get promoted or have a better career or have time to go to school and get my MBA or whatever it is that you're, you're driving to you got to be honest with yourself, right? And you've got to make those choices. And if you honestly do that and look at it and go, yeah, I'm okay spending six hours uh, a week on Facebook and I don't really have a drive and I don't really, okay, great. You know, like sure. then, then the motivation isn't for you. Great. Sit there and hang out and watch Facebook. Um, but there's people that, you know, want to drive, right? That want to do something different. That education, that, that, that knowing, right? All the stuff that Rob talked about with awareness, hearing those stats, um, that should be causing a change in your world. So what I was going to tell listeners about is this game that I play. I I just kind of make it fun for myself is I try to see how low or how little I can use my phone while still accomplishing everything in a week. And so it's kind of like a reverse or like a screen time game where I'm trying to minimize screen time as much as possible while still being, while still getting everything done. And, 
And basically I've gotten it down to between like an hour and a half and an hour and 45 minutes a day of screen time on my phone while still, you know, running my business and doing all the things I need to do. And, uh, I don't know. I just, and I'm constantly, even this week, I just tried something new to reduce my screen time and it definitely helped. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. So in four years, I've tried a lot of stuff and I'm still doing it every single week. If I find something that I think is helpful. I, I love it, right? Play play around, explore all the features. There are features, depending whether you have a Android or a Google or an iPhone. Um, there's all kinds of features, things that you can turn on, things you can turn off, right, to help you better manage your technology. Whether you're on a PC or a Mac, there's things you can do to help you better manage your technology. Find out about them, right? Search like, you know, technology productivity and all kinds of stuff will 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 we'll come up all, all kinds of hints and tips and tricks. Um, one of the things that I like to do that I started doing that really unnerves my friends um, that I enjoy is instead of texting them or calling them, I um, I FaceTime them, right? Oh, nice. Because um, I, I want to see them, right? Like when I record podcasts, I record video, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, video. And I'm like, but I want to see the person, right? Because I, I – even though Rob and I aren't together, you know, we'd probably like come in for a, for a, you know, a man hug, you know, but I, I get to see, right. We're interacting. It, it makes the, it makes the communication a million times better than if we were just audio. Um, so I challenge my audience, right. Explore the technology features that help you better manage your technology and shake it up. Try it, right. Try FaceTiming your friends. You know, don't FaceTime them at 10 o'clock at night where they, you know, might be in personal time. But, um, you know, <laughs> FaceTime them at an appropriate time and just be like, hey, I just wanted to reach out and connect with you this new way. So, you know, and, and you'll be amazed at the different conversation that happens when you add that video element versus just texting. Um, I'm such not a fan of texting. My kids just text me all the time and I always FaceTime them and they're like, I texted you. I'm like, right. And now I'm FaceTiming them because I'm not going to reply to my own children via text. Right. Um, like, so, so shake it up a little bit, Rob. Um, so many cool tips. Um, I was telling Rob, this is like the longest podcast I've had, you know, over a hundred episodes and I love it. Right. I, I love Rob, what you're trying to do with humans first. And I, 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 I you know, for, for the sake of humanity, and I know that sounds cliche, um, I hope you're successful, right? And I hope this episode helped. I hope it raised awareness. Um, it, it's, technology can be good. I, I truly believe that or I wouldn't be doing it. Um, I think awareness of uh, the downsides of technology uh, definitely need way more airplay. Um, it, you know, I know that some of the stuff we said might scare folks. Um, that wasn't the intent, but you need to be aware, right? Um, it, it is very real. So, Rob, thanks for all you're doing with with Humans First. Uh, the link will be down below, but it's humansfirst.us, um, which I love, right? It's humansfirst.us, not us.us. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, that's very cool. <laughs> I don't know if that was your intent, but that is so mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> it is mm -hmm. so cool. Um, and thank you for taking uh, the time you know, to, to be with us here on the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Michael. And one thing that I just wanted to offer the listeners is if you guys go to humansfirst.us, there's a button on the middle of the page that says, tell me more. If you just go to the contact form there and fill that out and say, 
hey, I'd like my free complimentary 30-minute call. And I was on, I was listening to you on the Tech Pro Unicorn podcast. I'm happy to give any of the listeners a free 30-minute consultation where we can chat a little bit about your tech use and see how I might be able to help you out. I love that. That's extremely generous. Thanks so much for that. Um, lots of good stuff. Um, you know, even if you reach out to Rob and just, just ask questions, follow-up questions, we really didn't touch the work side of this. Um, and so much can be done there. So if you know you're in a corporate setting, um, trust me, your users are wasting time out there on social media sites. Um, you know, TikTok now has a, uh, a web browser site. I guarantee you, right? And if you don't know, there's all kinds of companies. Just call me; I'll tell you um, some of the filters that you can apply to your uh, to your to your outbound router gates and you'll be able to see everywhere that everyone goes outside of your firewalls and trust me facebook will be number one <laughs> so rob thank you very much again we appreciate the time you spent with us yeah thank you michael really grateful for the opportunity and hope your listeners found some value out of it awesome Thanks for joining us this week on the Tech Pro Unicorn Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at www.techprounicorn.com, where you can subscribe to the show and catch our latest blog articles. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Remember, unicorns represent the magic of digital transformation that occurs when business process is enabled with technology. Thank you